Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell, and I am here to apologize in advance of this episode even beginning. Why? Because even though I've been a radio professional for over a decade, I made a mistake when recording this episode. My settings on my recorder were set wrong. I had previously been recording in a large room, and it was set to large room settings. And because of the nature of how Tiffany and I record, I did not catch it when we were recording this particular episode. What does that mean? That means I'm going to sound a little bit more distant. It means you're going to hear the creak of my chair, the sound of my cat clunking around on the desk. You're going to hear trucks going by. And frankly, I'm going to sound a little bit like I'm overseas. You regular listeners know that Tiffany is living in Rome and I'm in Seattle. And generally speaking, even though we live all the way across the world, I spend about four to eight hours every week making sure the two sides of our conversation sound like we are are more or less in the same room. This particular time, I'm going to sound a little bit further away. So... It is with my greatest of apologies and admittedly cringes as a radio producer and sound perfectionist, I decided to put this conversation out there because of its timeliness and because I thought it was worthwhile enough to fight my overwhelming urge to just completely trash this episode since it doesn't sound as rich and close as normal. So I hope you will forgive me. I hope you will not judge this show solely on the sound of this particular episode. This is a one-time problem, I hope, although all radio people know that mistakes are inevitable. You'll lose your tape, you'll forget to push play, or something like today's episode will happen. You can only hope that you're not interviewing a president when it does happen, but this time it's just little old me. So, bear with us, and I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Hi, Tiffany. Hi, Katie. How's it going? (laughs) Missed any (laughs) big adventures lately? Yeah, I missed a huge adventure. What was that? The eclipse, the great American eclipse. I know. Uh, The United States had a total solar eclipse last week. I know. But you know what? I missed it too. Sort of. Sort of. Because I was not in the path of totality. Yeah. I, but still, you were really close. I mean, Seattle is very close to, you know, Oregon. We got about 92% coverage. But, you know, the scientists would tell you that 92%, you might as well just, you know... Not even look. Not even look. <laughs> Which is so cynical, by the way. It's still amazingly beautiful, even if uh, you can't see everything. But it is a totally different experience from what I've read of the path of totality. If you're in totality, it's you can take your solar glasses off. The lighting is different. It gets cold. You can see uh, what solar flares around the sun. All these things that, of course, if it's not completely covered up, you can't see. Nor can you ever look at it with a naked eye. Right. So I I did watch it. I did watch um, the 92% coverage. And I will say that I watched it from beginning to end, which I think some people, even people in the path of totality, didn't do. Like, I pretty much laid there looking at it off and on until it was completely back to normal. And how long did that take? Oh, it's like two hours. 
Wow, I didn't realize it was so long. Maybe a little less. It was like, I can't remember exactly the time, but it started like a little bit after nine in the morning. Uh, it reached its height at 10.20 in the morning, and then it was back to normal around 11. And where were you? Like, paint the picture for me. I was laying outside in the grass. I tried to go to a nature-y spot, like a place where there would be less people. What I didn't want to do was... I should back up and tell you that I had the opportunity to do something much more incredible, which we'll get to. So, because I decided not to do that opportunity, which I'll tell you about, what I didn't want to do is end up just walking out on the front steps of my apartment and looking up. Right. <laughs> you know, I thought, like, that would be... <laughs> A little bit boring. A bit underwhelming. Right, exactly. So I set up a meeting, or I set up an opportunity to meet with my old college roommate in eastern Washington. And so I drove a little bit out to eastern Washington just to be in a more rural location. Well, eastern Washington is is not a little bit away. It's like five hours drive, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, if you drive the whole way. No, it's about four. It's about four. But basically, I was just kind of trying to drive, find a quieter spot. So I found a spot by the river. And there were other people around, but there just weren't crowds and crowds of people around, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, found a spot by the river, laid out underneath a little bit of a bush, you know, where there are little birds sitting in the bush above me, and just <laughs> off and on looked up at it. The most remarkable thing about it, since it wasn't completely covered for me, was about the time when it got to the height, 92 93%. I did take the glasses off and look around me, at, just at the lighting, which people say is part of the most remarkable thing about it. Yes. And it definitely looked tinnier. The grasses had sort of a more metallic look to them. Huh. And it was the kind of light where your eyes could play tricks on you, sort of like twilight can be. And so I remember looking across and seeing a bird flying, blinking, seeing the bird disappear and then blinking again and it was still flying by. <laughs> so I don't know if that's because I accidentally looked at the sun as a part of this and I just had a big sunspot or something like that or if it was the trick of the light that was playing <laughs> at that point. Or maybe the bird actually disappeared. Maybe. Maybe it was like <laughs> part of the... Yeah, they say animals do strange things during eclipses. I know. Yeah, like completely go quiet or start vanishing. Yeah, it's incredible. I had the opportunity to go see it in its entirety. That's what Derek did. I don't want to go into it too much, but I want to paint the picture. So he and his friends are going camping. They're going to do this big, huge hike into somewhere in Wyoming to be in a really remote location that's under the path of totality. And all along the way, he was encouraging me to go, and I was sort of dragging my feet because I had so many other family trips planned that I didn't know, like, how am I going to feel? I might feel like I really need to do work, you know? Right. Like, I just got back from Hawaii. I'm about to go to Mexico for my sister's wedding. Yeah. Far be it for me to go on another trip. Poor Katie. I mean, it's just so much. Oh, it is you so poor much. thing. Oh, I know. You poor thing. Hawaii, Mexico, I know. eclipses. Your heart just break for me? It does. It does. I feel so bad for you. <laughs> So as it gets closer, though, I start reading more about the cliffs, and he expresses how much he really would like me to go with him. And I start feeling like, okay, I've got to figure out a way to pull this off. Mm -hmm. And what he's doing is he's flying to Montana, borrowing my sister's car, driving from there to where the hike begins, and then hiking in. And then hiking back out, driving my sister's car back to Montana, and flying out of there. Okay? So I look around. There's no flights available anywhere anymore. Not even to Montana? I mean, they're available, but what would be normally like a maybe $150, $200 flight is now $750. Or, you know, anywhere that's anywhere near the eclipse is a fortune to get to at this point. 
hotels are a fortune, all of these things. I can't afford that, so the thing I'll need to do is I'll need to drive. Oh, and driving from here to my sister's house is about ten and a half hours, ten hours, somewhere in there. Okay. And then you have to drive to Wyoming. You're right. So I was going to drive there, meet Derek there. He was flying. So for him, it was a week-long trip. He flew in Friday. He flew back out Friday. For me, it was going to be almost two weeks because I was going to have to leave on a Tuesday or Wednesday to drive there and then meet up with him and then drive. And then I was going to have to drive home again. So I'm making all these frantic phone calls. I also have to, you know, I host on the weekends on the local public radio station here. So I'm calling around trying to find somebody who can work my shift, you know. I'm trying to see if I could borrow my dad's car because my car is not the most reliable car. It's just like this nightmare of trying to pull everything off. And I realized somewhere along the way that I'm not Mm -hmm. sleeping anymore and I'm feeling like extremely jittery. Plus, I'm also not the best of hikers and campers, you know? I don't know about you, but mm. I don't have a lot of experience carrying a giant pack on my back, <laughs> setting up tents and sleeping out in the wilderness with <laughs> bear bags and stuff. Oh, God. So I'm nervous about that, too. And I don't know the people very well that we're going with. All these things. And I just start realizing that I'm extremely anxious and jittery about it. And I just thought... I gotta give myself a break. I think that until I decide that I'm not gonna do this, I'm gonna be like freaking out. And even trying to decide, do I really wanna do this? I kept flipping back and forth, back and forth. And I was trying to like fight that feeling of like, am I not going because I'm afraid of camping? Am I not going because I don't wanna be stuck with these people out in the wilderness? Why am I not going? What's the (laughs) hang up? And then you. I think because of all of our conversations where it's like, be bold, do this, try that, try this. Yeah, I'm like, suck it up, Katie, just do it, you know? (laughs) But sometimes, if I can enter, enter whatever, if I can jump in. Yeah, interject. um, Interject. (laughs) My English is going down the toilet, and I call myself a writer. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I think that sometimes you just, it's as simple as you just don't want to go. There doesn't have to be a fear or this big explanation of, oh, why is my subconscious not wanting to... Sometimes you just don't want to go for whatever reason, because you're tired, because you're overwhelmed, because whatever, you just don't... I totally get what you're talking about as far as like, be bold, take the risk, jump. And that's all great. But sometimes, and at least for me, maybe not for other people, but sometimes I feel like I do things even that I don't want to do because I feel like I have to do it. I'm in the Grand Canyon. I can't go to the Grand Canyon without parachuting off of the, the cliff, right? I mean, okay, no, I've been to the Grand Canyon three times and I've never done that and I don't think I would, but right. that's, that's the type of thing I mean. And sometimes you just don't want to do it. You look for all these reasons why you shouldn't, why you can't, but sometimes you just just admit, I don't want to do this, period. But it's so hard to present when it comes to something like a total eclipse, which granted, I was able to convince myself this doesn't have to be the last opportunity for you to ever see it. I looked it up. There's gonna be a total eclipse in Europe in 2026. Okay, it's just nine years away. You hear all these scientists that are like saying, it's like nothing you've ever seen. It's completely mind bending. It's completely mind altering. You'll never see the world again in the same way. And I did at one moment, Because, you know, I'm in a time of extreme transition right now where I'm about to move to New Orleans. I'm freelancing, you know, blah. Um, I thought, 
maybe I don't need my mind completely blown or altered right now. Like maybe I'm already in this delicate place of maybe I'm one step from insanity. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it's that dire. Wow. When I was feeling like that super anxious, twitchy mouse feeling, you know, where I was just like, I don't know, I'm going to pull this off. I, I felt like maybe this will be like the, the final straw, the thing that just sh- mm-hmm. <laughs> shoots me over the edge or something. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said for like too much stimulation, especially when you're in a difficult period of your life. So, but you have a serious fear of missing out. I have a huge fear of missing out, like huge. And I have to admit, I've had to confront it since having a baby Um, because you have to. There's no way, I mean, unless you're the type of parent who just goes on living exactly like you did before you had kids, which people say is impossible, but actually I know somebody who's doing it right now and I don't think it's a good idea (laughs) to do that for the child's sake, but life isn't like gonna end or anything, but it's just, it's not gonna be the same for the first few years at least. I'm the type of person who, like we mentioned a couple weeks ago, I went to Belgium at you know a moment's notice to see a friend performing. You know, when I get the chance to do something, I generally do it. I had a friend who was going to be sailing down the coast of Thailand and Malaysia one summer, invited me along, and you know I didn't think twice. I was like, okay, I'm going. I'm going to do that. That's going to be something completely new and completely unforgettable. Other events like that, I I will try to make it happen. Even little things, like if I'm in Rome and I hear that they're doing some special event at the Atapaches where they're going to light it up with lasers and it's going to look like it looked back in ancient times, I'm going to go see that. I try to go see interesting events, obviously things that are of interest to me, especially if they're things that are unusual. Like I, I really am into that. But I will tell you that sometimes I find myself doing something like that that I've worked so hard to put together and make happen. Like I remember one, one night there was one of my favorite conductors, or not necessarily one of my favorite conductors, but like a conductor that I know is very, very famous and very important, and I wanted to see him conduct once in my life. You know, he's Russian, so he's not in Italy that often. And so obviously I pulled all these strings at work to get complimentary tickets and yada yada, and I was really tired. This is before Aurelio came along. Really tired, but like, you know, whatever. We went anyway. We spent who knows how long looking for parking and da-da-da-da-da. And I get there after this huge effort. I was like so tired during the concert. I was like, am I even enjoying this? So sometimes I think for people like me, and I don't know if you're like this too, who kind of feel like this compulsion to take advantage of any opportunity to do something unusual and to do something cool... And it's great to do those things, but sometimes you do have to sort of put the brakes on and be like, wait a second, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I really, truly want this experience? Or am I, this is for me personally, am I doing this because I want to be able to say that I had this experience? Because that, (laughs) that is not a genuine reason to do something. And I fall into that trap all the time. I went all the way to Vienna to be there on the 250th anniversary of the death of Mozart because they were playing the Requiem, his Requiem, in the church where his funeral was at the exact moment that he died. The Requiem finished the moment that he died. I wanted to go and do that so bad that I made it happen. 
side note, I broke up with someone or he broke up with me. I've talked about this before, this like very like difficult relationship that ended in a kind of unexpected way. And I was probably the most brokenhearted I've ever been in my life. And everyone was like, don't go. Because I was going alone. I'd made this plan to go alone because none of my friends could go. And the guy that I was dating, that guy couldn't go. And so I, I just said, well, I'm going to go. I'm just going to go alone. Everyone was saying, don't go, don't go. You'll you'll be too sad by yourself. You just broke up. Da, da, da. And I was like, no, I'm going. I have that kind of stubbornness. where I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. But that doesn't always serve you. And I think sometimes it's very wise to be like, you know what? This is just too much. But did you find out that you were completely brokenhearted and didn't enjoy it? Or was it worthwhile? Um, I remember exactly how I felt. I will tell you, and I'll, I'll just put this out there. It was less than a month out. It was literally like a couple weeks after. So I was still in that really, really raw period. But I will tell you that I was literally, <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing. I was literally sobbing alone in the hotel room. Oh. <laughs> Not like 24 hours a day, just like when I would get home at the end of the day of sightseeing. And it was wonderful. I loved Vienna. I would love to go back there. And I saw so much and I did so much because I was like trying to fill every single moment of the day. But I would get back home, I would, home, I would get back to the hotel and I would just collapse in tears. And I was so incredibly lonely, like I've never been so lonely in my life. But to hearken back to our lonely episode, I said then, and I still hold this to be true, that sometimes the best way to deal with loneliness is to go and be alone. Right. So I don't, I don't know if that trip was worth it or not, if it was looking back, if I would do it. It's definitely, it was a cool thing to do, but it was difficult. It was really hard. I don't know. Have you ever had the experience where you got an opportunity to go somewhere or to experience something that was really cool and you said no eventually like I did and realized that you, I guess, had made the right decision for whatever reason? I thought you were going to say you realized you had made the wrong decision. Well, I mean, it could go either way. But I mean, for me, I think because I was having so much anxiety about it and then the moment I decided trying to pull this off is too much, I felt immediately... Relieved. Relieved, yeah. yeah. And it wasn't that I wanted to miss it. I still wished that I didn't have to miss it, but I it kind of admitted to myself, you were always dragging your feet about it. You didn't plan ahead. Yeah. And now you're trying to pull off this epic trip in like a day and a half. And it's too late. You should have thought about it sooner if you really wanted to go. And then you have to admit, I don't know that I really want to go. You know, I'm sure there are things like that. I mean, only one really small thing comes to mind. When I was about seven months pregnant, I got free tickets to go see Tosca at the Teatro dell'Opera di Roma. And I love Tosca. I mean, I love all Puccini offers, but Tosca is one of my favorites. And we'd planned to go. We were going. It was like 8 o'clock at night or something. The tickets were for 8 or 8.30 even. It got to be, you know, time to go. And I was like... I just can't do it. I am so tired. I just can't. I will not be able to stay awake. You know, it's like three hours from 8.30 on. It's like, when you're pregnant, you're so tired. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I was saying it. I don't think I can do it. <laughs> it's so unlike me to, you know, give up free tickets to the opera. Did Claudio go? No, 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 no. He kind of, I mean, he goes to the opera with me happily, but it's kind of my thing. So he doesn't really go without me. 
like I wouldn't go see the Dream Theater without him or something. What's the Dream Theater? Not the Dream Theater. It's Dream Theater. It's a it's like a progressive metal band that Claudio really loves. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I can't um, even imagine you being at a metal band concert. No, I can't either. Quite frankly, <laughs> I actually ended up only getting one ticket to that, so he went to that by himself. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, I'm sure there are trips that I had. No, I have to say, not to like sort of ruin the theme of this podcast, but the times that I remember not doing something that I wanted to do or that I was planning and thinking about doing, with the exception of Tosca, which I really like, I would have fallen asleep and it would not have been enjoyable. So I don't regret that. But um, I, I pretty much regret them all. <laughs> I have a friend who's an opera singer, the same friend who was the one who was singing in Belgium, who I went to see. And I'm so happy I went on that trip because that was awesome. But she was also singing in the Glyndebourne Festival in England, in southern England, several years ago now. It must have been before I was pregnant. And I mean, I've never been to that festival, but I've heard people say just how amazing it is. And you just take a picnic and lie out on the lawn in the English summer and you listen to like really, really, really high quality opera you know, here's my close friend who's going to be singing. And she's like, you have to come. I go get you tickets. You have to come. And, and I didn't go. I didn't go on that one. And now that I have a kid, just it, having a kid complicates everything. And it makes travel so much more complicated. And it's just difficult to be like, hey, I think I'm just going to go for the weekend. I'm just going to take off for the weekend. And I'm going to go to England to go to this concert. It's just not as easy. So now, even if this summer she went again, it would be much more difficult for me to go. And so I guess my moral of the story is if you think you might have kids, do all the stuff that you want to do. Do it now because you might not be able to do it later. You're going along with the um, age-old adage or I don't even know if it's an adage or, or like a scientific fact at this point. But they always say that when they interview people later about regret, they always regret the things that they didn't do. They don't regret the things that they did do. Yeah. Even if it was something that was hard, you know, like deciding to get a divorce or quitting a beloved job and moving away, that generally speaking, in the end, you don't regret things like that. But you do regret the times when you were going to do something and then you didn't do it. I've heard that too, and I totally like live by that. But on the other hand, my rational side is asking how many of those people just don't want to admit to themselves that they made a mistake. They sort of tell themselves that so that they feel better about it. Like, for example, my trip to Vienna, like, do I, do I tell myself that that concert was more amazing than it was so that I can justify going on that trip? I don't know. But why would you have to justify going on that trip? Mm, I think people justify things to themselves a lot. Maybe a trip, no, but maybe something more like serious, like you're saying, like a divorce or quitting a job. Like, I mean, I guess if it depends if you're a positive, sort of optimistic person or a more negative, cynical person, how you see the world. I'm very optimistic. So I always say, oh yeah, you know, thank goodness this happened like this because otherwise this other amazing thing wouldn't have happened. Well, what, how do I know that something even better wouldn't have <laughs> happened anyway? It's a good point. It's a good point. And now your relationship with this guy didn't end because of your trip to Vienna. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was like, I no. don't like Mozart. I'm not going. 
you insisted and that was the final straw that was the end that was the end yeah <laughs> broke up over mozart <laughs> no no i had decided to go on that trip months before and he had said oh i don't i don't want to go i can't remember i can't remember the details but um but so i was like okay i'm going alone mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't care yeah I mean, we never really established what the theme of this podcast was. It's not really a fear of missing out. It, it's about like when you're offered an opportunity and when it is when you say no, mm-hmm. what does that mean? I guess the bigger questions like I've had is just because I kind of indicated before, because we talk so much about taking risks and like I'm really at a point in my life where I'm trying to like encourage myself to get out of the same rutted patterns and keep growing, you know, in all the extreme growth that you and Suzanne were talking about that you've seen in me in the last five years. And I'm, I'm just trying not to stagnate, you know, I'm trying to go, okay, I would never do this normally, but uh, I'm going to do it this time. I'm making that blah sound a lot today because <laughs> it's like me out of my element. Uh. And I think that that makes it much more conflicted in my head about hearing that voice that's deep in you that just says, this is not something you really want to do. Because you also have that other struggle where it's like, okay, it's something that you don't really want to do. That's why you got to do it. That's how you're going to make it to the next plane. That's how you're going to continue to grow as a person, you know? That's hard. I didn't, I didn't think about it that way, but that's very true. How do you know when to say no to something because you deep down know you don't want to do it or push yourself to do it anyway? because maybe it'll help you grow. That's, that's really hard. It's extremely hard. And the only way, like in hindsight, Derek arrived home this morning from this trip. I picked him up from the airport. His report was basically, the eclipse is one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. And other than that, it was an extremely difficult trip. The hiking was really hard. The altitude made it extremely hard to breathe. They were traveling like 40 miles of hiking. It was hard to talk just because of the altitude. Wow. One amazing day mixed with grueling days. And so in a way, I felt like, oh, thank God, you know, a vindication. I made the right decision. Uh, now I'm able to let myself off the hook because... I hear about the trip and I think, okay, that isn't something I would have wanted to have to go through. <laughs> but Okay, can I ask you something? And hopefully I won't make you feel bad. Oh, go ahead and I try. won't make you feel bad because I'm sure that this went through your mind as well. This is what meant, went through my mind when a couple of days before the eclipse, we were sort of chatting back and forth about it. And I was asking you what you were doing. And like I looked on the map of the path of totality and I saw that Salem, Oregon was in the path. And... I think if it had been me, and now I don't know if I really would have done it, but I'm thinking I would have gotten up really early in the morning, get in my car and drive to Salem, Oregon, and watch the eclipse and then drive home. You would think that, but um, the traffic was an absolute nightmare. Right. Well, that makes sense. Hundreds of thousands of people on the move. Oregon was running out of gasoline. Right. There weren't enough porta potties there. Jeez. Everything you read about it made it sound like it would be an absolutely miserable experience. You have two minutes of wonder and bliss, and then you spend 12 hours in the car because there's so many people on the road. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I, you know. And so, yeah, I just couldn't face it. Also, I think when I think of an experience like that, I kind of want to be alone for it. Like, I don't want to hear a bunch of human reaction to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want to sort of experience it for what it is. <laughs> How do you say this nicely? Sometimes 
humans don't say very smart or interesting things in a moment like that. <laughs> you didn't want to have all that commentary. Exactly. Clouding your experience. Just shut up and watch it. You know, you can say like, wow, and nah, nah, but don't say things like, it looks like a lifesaver. Oh, God. Were people saying that? No, but that's in a very famous Annie Dillard essay that she wrote about seeing the eclipse in 1979. It looks like a lifesaver in the sky, you know, or that I watched one video on the news where everybody's cheering and looking at it, and then, and then a car alarm goes off. It's like, I just don't need that as a part of it. <laughs> now, I have... As some of you who listen may know, since I've probably mentioned it before, I have five older sisters. And each one of my older sisters lives in a different Western state. Two of them lived on the path of totality. And one of them lived very close. My sister in Oregon, she lives right outside Portland. And then my other sisters, they're right in Boise. And then the other one is near Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So I wrote to them a couple, like I think actually the morning of or the, the night before, and I said, take pictures. Of course, I didn't realize that pictures weren't going to work, but I said, take pictures and write report back to me. Tell me how it what happened. And so I have a little, very brief emails from each of them, and I want to read you their experiences. Okay. So my sister, Kendra, she lives in Boise, and she probably had the most low-key experience of it, which is so Kendra. She's the opposite of me. She's like the most laid-back, non-excitable person like not that she never gets excited but she's just not she doesn't like get excited over things like this like she'll enjoy it but she's not going to go out of her way to see it so she said well I was driving to work and could look through my sunroof and see most of it or at least what I could without any glasses it was kind of eerie really because there was hardly anyone on the roads and it was a different kind of dark but the minute it was over you could see the brightness of the sun poke back around the one thing I really noticed is how cold it got Big event for one minute. So she didn't even stop her car. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine being in the path of totality? How many millions of people were moving, like you said, on the move, paying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars or thousands to be able to get to where they could see it. And she's there and she didn't even stop the car. (laughs) Just classic, classic Kendra. My sister Robin, she's probably the one who is most like me of all my sisters. She lives in Wyoming. And she says, how lucky that, that, that my backyard was in the path of totality. We actually spent the morning with friends in their backyard having brunch and watching the eclipse. At the totality, the darkness compared to that of 8 p.m. Mountain Central Time. The temperatures dropped, dropped by 10 degrees. During the totality, I could not take my eyes off the sun and the moon, even without the special glasses. It was incredible. You really could see the ring and what they refer to as the diamond. And then my other sister, Samantha, who lives near Portland, so she wasn't quite in the path of full totality, but she was very close. She says, as for me and my crew, she's got two young kids, we stood in line in downtown Lake Oswego the morning of the eclipse because the city was giving away glasses. They ran out 10 people behind us. The glasses had sold out everywhere. Anyway, we got to 99.5% totality at our location. The weird thing was that it never really got dark, even with just... 0.5% of sunlight. It was kind of like dusk. The really cool part is we could see the light on the ground almost rippling like waves on water. Also, the shadows coming through the tree leaves were so cool. It looked like thousands of mini crescent moons on the ground. Hard to explain, though. Yeah. 
Anyway, so that was just three experiences of my three sisters. And I'm sitting here in Italy like, what the hell? My three sisters are living along the path of totality. And I'm sitting here and not seeing anything. <laughs> and I'm looking up at the sun in Rome. And I'm like, the sun is just shining like normal. <laughs> Nothing's going on. And then it was funny because, you know, obviously this was happening, I guess it would have been the mid-afternoon for us. To late evening, actually, because by the time the eclipse was happening on the East Coast, it was about 8 p.m. here. And I looked out at the moon, and I thought, this moon right now is causing an eclipse on the other side of the of the world. It was kind of cool, even though I couldn't see it, obviously. That's so cool. I love that thought. Well, I had the thought, too, because as they rightly pointed out, was similar to me was if we didn't have the special glasses you would not necessarily know anything was going on. You might think it looked a little dimmer, things around you looked a little bit strange, but that could just be a trick of the eyes. And so I couldn't help thinking about people in ancient times when you didn't know that a total eclipse was going to happen at 10.20 in the morning. Right. And you didn't have glasses. <laughs> Until the moon completely covers the sun, there's not really that much of a noticeable difference. And so for them, they would have, all of a sudden, it would have gone black. Huh, I never thought of that. And that would have been terrifying. I can't even imagine. And not only does it go black, but all of a sudden there's a ring of fire in the sky. Right. <laughs> even in knowing, people, people knowing that uh, what they're seeing, they have trekked to go see the solar eclipse. There are still reports of people screaming when they see it, and they know what it is. Hmm. I mean, it's no wonder that people in power would fall or that it would seem like the beginning of the end of times or whatever it is that all these different cultures made of an eclipse back in the day. Yeah. It would have seemed like such an omen or such a, I don't know, like a terrifying occurrence, the end of the world or something. Yeah, like the sun was was going to burn out. And then what a relief it would have been to have it come back. I mean, I didn't read enough about it ancient history um, leading up to it, but a whole bunch of different books came out last year where people were looking at what eclipses meant to different cultures back in history. It would be interesting to look into it a little bit more, but now that I know that it doesn't get totally dark until, um, until it's completely gone, it does make it seem like it would be twice as alarming if you had no idea it was coming. Yeah, I didn't realize, I mean, obviously now that I think about it, I realize... But I didn't think about the fact that while it's happening, you can't look up at the sun, so you can't really see. It's not like sunset. Like at sunset, you can look at the sun, but at the in the middle of the day, you can't. And so obviously, you can't just sit up there and be like, "Why is the sun?" You know, you you, you couldn't possibly do that. So, so yeah, of course. Do you have any other times that you can remember of adventures that you were? proposed with that you turned down oh man i'm sure there are thousands of them <laughs> just think if you had decided not to move to rome i can't remember a lot that i turned down i remember ones that i went reluctantly on when my father first started proposing that i go with him to vietnam you know he called up and said do you want to go to vietnam and my first thought was was no <laughs> as we have established in the show I wasn't a very adventurous traveler as a young person but um, I thought of all the places you would want to go you know, maybe go to England or Italy or something but why would you want to go to Vietnam as far as I knew that's just where we had a war I knew absolutely nothing about it I plead total ignorance 
It just felt like I don't know why I would choose that place as the place to go to, of all places. I was the opposite. When I was little, I was always obsessed with maps and flags, the names of country, like geography and stuff. I was obsessed. And I would look at the map. Literally, I wanted to go to every single country. Bhutan, sure, I want to go there. Algeria, yes, sign me up. Lesotho, I wanted to go everywhere. And every time I would meet somebody who was like from any country, any country, first of all, I would show off that I could name the capital of the country because I could me- I memorize all the capitals of every country in the world. I still know most of them. But anyway, point is, if my, had da- my dad had called me up and been like, hey, want to go to Vietnam? I'd have been like, when? Tomorrow? Can we go tomorrow? <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that I'm more adventurous than you. I just have always been obsessed with geography and looking at maps and looking at countries and just wanting to like go to them all, check them off. No, and I greatly admire that about you. I, I've never actually asked my dad if he purposefully noticed that I wasn't interested in going places and started sort of pushing me to try new things. He took me to J- Japan That was my first overseas trip, and then he took me to Vietnam. And of course, eventually, like, you go to Vietnam and you fall in love with it because it's incredible. And then, of course, as we well know in this show, I ended up going back twice a year for however many years. Went a total of seven or eight times. So obviously I came to, to love it. But yeah, I definitely often... When somebody proposes something new to me, my first reaction is, mm... You know, and I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. I am different, but I'm not all the way there. People always, because of our show, I mentioned this before, people always talk to me about how bold I am. And and I'm definitely bolder than I was, but I still feel that person, the person that's hesitant to try new things or to let stuff go or whatever, all that stuff that bugs me and bothers me. Well, look, you shouldn't change your personality. That's not what this is about. But I think that... Just because you're pushing yourself to try new things and do new things doesn't mean that you need to change who you are and how you react to things. But I would say to you or to anyone else who kind of has the same sort of reluctance that you have is practice doing one new thing a day. One new thing a day. It can be really, really stupid. Like it can be like, I've never had this for breakfast before. I've never driven down the street could be something so stupid. Like I've never tried yoga and then you go to a yoga class. Okay, you hate yoga. We've already established that. So you pick something else, you know, just to get you sort of like used to doing new things. Because I do think it's a kind of a muscle. Well, I do think that that's true. But I will say though, that that's what's bizarre about my particular personality orientation is that I do try new things a lot. My whole career was built on getting other people's stories and trying all this different stuff. I'm a dabbler, for sure. I definitely am a ritualistic person in the restaurants I go to and stuff like that, as we established last time. But, but I mean, I do take all these risks in general day-to-day life. Yes. It's when it comes to the big things. Well, yeah, quitting your job and, and going in freelance is, is pretty big. You just have to look at these things as an adventure. And you have to also be like, this is going to be a great story one day. Whenever I'm going through like some really crappy situation, like the time that I was crossing the Singapore causeway on foot in the middle of like a rainstorm, about to miss my train and it was going to ruin my whole trip. And 
I remember thinking, this sucks right now. This is really sucks, but it is going to make a great story someday. So just think of it that way. Be like, oh my God, it's going to be really challenging to like be camping with all these people I don't know. But maybe you'll get a great story out of it. Maybe. I'm still glad I didn't go though. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think you need to have, I think you need to be able to give yourself a pass when you need it. Maybe there are people who do take every adventure that comes their way, but you need to be able to trust yourself and give yourself the permission to be like, you know what? This I don't want to do. Like base jumping, I don't think so. <laughs> Whatever it is. And you don't have to give yourself a reason. You don't have to be like, well, I'm tired because I just got back from Hawaii. No, you just be like, you know what? I don't want to do this. Give yourself permission to do that. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't push yourself to try new things and to get out of your comfort zone because that's important. Yeah. Well, with that thought, we should leave it there. I know. I'm totally lecturing you today. Sorry oh, for, no, to be lecturing not. you. We're going back and forth. We're all over the map and, on this one because it's complicated. I mean, I would love to hear what other people have to say. So if you're going to try one new thing today, well, it's late where you are right now. You're going to try one new thing tomorrow. What are you going to do? One new thing. Um, I'm like looking around my room, like the room I'm sitting in, like, what can I try? I'm like looking at Claudio's guitar. I guess I could try to, um, to play a couple chords on the guitar. Hey, there you go. I've never played the guitar before. I could ask him to show me a couple chords. There you go. I like that. There you go. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. What about you? Well, now I'm in the same spot. Um, <laughs> I'll try driving a different route to work. Oh, speaking of driving, first of all, I don't really think that counts, Katie. But, <laughs> I, know, but I was I'll, like, give even you a slide. that sounds boring. Go ahead, though. I'll give you a slide. No, I just realized I am meeting a girlfriend in the center of Rome tomorrow, and I'm taking my car, and I'm going to be parking in the center of Rome for the first time. Wow. And I know that sounds like stupid, but that's actually something that makes me quite anxious. Yeah, definitely. The only reason I'm kind of like not worrying too much about it is because it's still August and in August the city is a lot emptier than the rest of the year. And so I'm hoping that I'll be able to find parking, but people in Rome are kind of crazy drivers. And if you're timid, you can get crushed. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm kind of scared, but I'm going to do it. And so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, just park along the Tiber. That seems like the best spot. Yeah, yeah, if you can find a spot. And then, of course, it, you might end up being really far from where you're going. You know, maybe it's more than just doing something that's, that you've never done. Maybe we, you should try to do something that scares you, you know, makes you face some kind of fear, even if it's a little fear. Mm. What do you think? Sure, go for it. I don't mean just me. I mean, like all of us. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I think it depends so much, too, where you're at in your life. Well, I just, I think that these kind of things, they take practice. I mean, yes, maybe there are some people who are born more courageous or more risk-taking daredevil than others. But I do think that if you practice feeling that little fear and just doing it anyway, it gets easier. I had a friend who once said, instead of do, do something that scares you every day, she said, do something that embarrasses you every day. And I love that. I love that because I'm, I do tend to get embarrassed pretty easily. And she's like, yeah, just like put yourself out there, put yourself in the situation, like go to the supermarket and like pretend you don't have enough money to pay for your groceries. <laughs> and it's like, Hey, you have to leave them all there on the counter and the people behind you are like, 
this person doesn't have the money to pay. You know, that's just a stupid example. But do something that really embarrasses you every day and see that it gets easier and easier to get embarrassed and then, then it won't bother you anymore. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. Not easier and easier to get embarrassed, but easier and easier to get over the embarrassment. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's always an opportunity to embarrass yourself every time you're on live radio, and I get to do that every weekend, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we should leave it there. But if you do have any thoughts, please do email us, bittersweetlife at mail.com. Join us on Twitter at bittersweetpod or on Facebook at bittersweetlifepodcast. And we have a brand new website. Mm. So you can check that out at thebittersweetlife.net. And if you really love Yay. the show, please consider donating to it as well. Our expenses have gotten, they've raised, and we do need your support more than ever, actually, if we're going to keep this show going. So consider doing that too. If you do like the show, please, please rate it and write a review. Even if it's really short, it just really, really helps us. The more people who review the show, the more people will find it. And we really want new people to find our show. So please take a minute go to iTunes and give us a rating, five stars if possible, and uh, and write us a quick review. We'd really appreciate that. Yeah, we would very, very much. There's very few things that you can do that take such little time that make two people so happy as the idea yeah. of you writing a review. <laughs> <laughs> and or deciding to donate $5 a month to try to keep this show alive. Either way, uh, we appreciate you so much, and we can't thank you enough, guys. We really like you. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. This is The Bittersweet Life. Talk to you next week. Bye. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.